All right, welcome. With me today is Tom Riemann. He is CEO and founding partner of Practice Intel, a growth platform for financial professionals to give great advice experience. Tom, welcome. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much for having me today. So I know we're going to talk a lot about your tool and some other things, but one of the things I think maybe we start with is some of the, mm. the background research, but first the vocabulary around advice mm. experience versus client experience. Could you mm. help explain kind of the difference between those and what you mean when you say advice experience? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and by the way, both are important in any value proposition. We can really break a value proposition into those two components. And I'd like to use analogies from outside of our business to make that really work and understand that. Think about the client experience. It's like walking into a restaurant and having someone you know greet you warmly, having a wonderful environment, beautiful table, beautiful surroundings, just a great feel and touch, right? That's the client experience. But then when the food hits the table, the meal in front of you, that's what we'll call the core experience. And in our world, it's the advice experience. And if that core experience is not up to par, let's say the food lands at your table and the steak is burnt, the salad is hot, um, the, the, the wine is bad, then anything you do in the client experience evaporates. It doesn't matter unless you deliver on that core experience. So in our world, that means the advice experience. It means the ultimate outcome, the ultimate results of what we do as financial advisors, helping people, and in, in my favorite phrase is really translate their wealth into a life of meaning and contentment. That's the advice experience. Now, client experience is important. Don't get me wrong. Nice, you know, good, solid engagement, um, responsiveness, a great latte, nice office, you know, tickets to the ball game, all good. But without the advice experience, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that 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 actually that actually resonates with me a lot. I was just at a a restaurant visiting my kids this weekend, and uh, it was same experience. It was a great restaurant. It was beautiful. Uh, I got my chicken, and it was crazy dry. And I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> like I could do better at home." <laughs> yeah, well, and, and if we can't think about what that actually does, so yeah. you get the chicken lands, it's dry. The advice experience lands, and it's okay, not bad, not great. What does that do to your loyalty? Are you for that restaurant? You're like, I can't wait to come back. Or right, you yeah, most likely won't. Yeah, you got to tell someone about it. Right, you got to get the right. core pieces right. Like at the end of the day, the other stuff is nice. It's there. It mm -hmm. helps. Uh, but you, you you have to deliver on that core. Correct. All right. Cool. All right. I think that's helpful. Advice experience mm -hmm. versus client experience. Very helpful. Uh, before we get into tool, kind of the other thing is you you've had a lot of experience. You worked at JD Power, mm -hmm. uh, doing some research around advice experience. What are what are some of the insights you learned uh, just kind of along the way in your journey, uh, but also as you, as you were thinking about practice intel and and some of the components that you would include as part of that tool set? Like, so what, what is the research? What is the research? What yeah, is some of the yeah. research part? Well, and just before my uh, my role at uh, JD Power as head of Wealth Solutions and the Wealth Solutions practice, with 25 plus years in the broker-dealer ecosystems in a variety of roles. So I am a licensed advisor. I mean, so I know the space really well, like, like you do, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> and we, we know when we think about the advice experience or how advisor is the value proposition most advisors bring to the table. There's a pretty wide dispersion. Right? There's some great advisors out there, and we know that. One of them, by the way, is a Valmark advisor. He's my advisor. <laughs> There's a bunch of advisors, like say, that are really hard work and well-intentioned, do a, do a yeoman's work. And then there's probably some advisors we might not want to engage with very much. And I knew that going into my role at J.D. Power, and I think most people 
in our industry would agree with that sort of experiential perspective. So I was able to go into J.D. Power and then look at a very deep set of research around client response and how clients responded to what I'll call the core advice attributes. So at my previous firm, um, lots and lots of things got measured, which is great. But the key thing was to extract those things that tended to matter most. Mm-hmm. The one challenge we have, if you try to work on 120 things at, t- at one time, it's very difficult to actually make any progress. So the goal there was to extract those advice attributes that when delivered, led to a really extraordinary advice experience, super high advocacy, loyalty, all those things. So we were, we were I was able to do that. I led the team that created this advice experience in, the, I think, in J.D. Power term, referred to it as the advisory experience continuum. Um, and published extensively on that in Barron's. And that just really backed up what we know experientially with the research and data. Now, the the gap was there was all this research, which is great at the industry and even the firm level, but where it didn't exist was at the practice level. And so that's what Practice Intel, one of our core missions is to bring this research all the way down. I call it institutional consumer research, all the way down, to the individual advisor's desktop. I like it. So um, you, you you shared, so I I think one of the things that people think about is like, okay, well, you, you mentioned there's a difference, right? Between these like different tiers. And I'd say, you know, people say, is it a little bit of a difference? It is a big difference. And then you, you shared some, some data with me around some like net promoter scores and then how that impacts uh, the advisor's ability to attract new clients. And, and I was shocked uh, by, the, by the difference. Would you, do you want to share that? Yeah, sure. And again, we can, if you, if you uh, look at some of the Barron's articles um, that I published over the last couple of years, again, this data was published there. So when the client, uh, there were seven attributes when the client said, yes, emphatically, yes, I'm getting those, meaning that restaurant, yes, that chicken was great. <laughs> when yeah. those seven attributes were delivered, NPS was in the high 80s or low 90s, right? So net promoter score, advocacy. And as you move into that low 90s, you're pretty much, it's unequivocal for the most part. You know, 92, 93, 94 is almost 100. Uh, But as you slid then to an experience where the client is saying, yes, or maybe, I think so. Then uh, advocacy or NPS dropped into the 60s, in the mid 60s. Which which is still pretty high. Like if you look at like... uh, that's still a pretty high score compared to other industries. Yeah. And so I, I, listen, I don't disagree with that. Now, if we think about the importance of financial advice and the impact financial advice can have, financial advice delivered to its fullest extent can have a profound impact on one's life. And you know, I think we know James Lee at the CFP board often talks about financial advice being the fourth great profession. Mm-hmm. And if it's the fourth great profession, being okay. Like if you got a 65 yeah. in college, how was that on your test? That's not great. I guess the same thing. Uh, so I, I know in like search engine optimization, they use this phrase, your money or your life. And Google like literally categorizes those differently. And they're much mm-hmm. more uh, stringent in, in information that they present that involves either your money or your life. So I, I guess it makes sense, right? You, you, no, nobody wants a mediocre doctor or really a mediocre financial go. advisor, right? Like you, people want good advice. Indeed. And if we think about, by the way, when I said, you know, strongly agree, emphatic yes for that ideal. And then that that chasm between strongly agree and somewhat agree, that goes from an emphatic yes to, yeah, I think so, or maybe. 
I mean, that's a that that's on the measurement scale. It's just one thing over, but in reality, it's an incredibly large gap. So, how was the restaurant? Yeah, it's pretty good. Are you going back? Right, right. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know, if we six months from now, when I really forget what the experience was like, and then what happens is six months later, you go and you're like, why do we go here? Why didn't we just eat at home? Yeah. So, so one of the things I really like uh, about what you've developed is it's more than just a, a single number. You're looking at, you know, you know, multiple attributes, and then you've kind of taken those and you, you created your own, um, index. Uh, do you want to talk about your RQI or your relationship yeah. quality index? A- absolutely. So first of all, I will say I am a big believer in that promoter score. I think when someone says they're going to advocate, that's a really important thing. And just a quick note on that. Advocacy is, is more than just a referral. A referral mm. is saying, yeah, there's a restaurant over there. You know, that's that's where the steakhouse is. That's a referral. Advocacy is wow, an amazing place. You mm. need to you need to go there. I had this. This happened. I can't wait to go back. In fact, advocacy is just the external manifestation of an internal belief. So if we think when we advocate for something, we start by advocating to ourselves, right? Mm. We believe in it. We use it. We go to it, and then we just feel so strongly. We tell someone else. So I believe in NPS. But with that said, there are other metrics that attribute value to the client relationships that are really, really important. So our relationship quality index incorporates four other metrics. A couple of them include loyalty, value for fees, trust, and there's one other. And we bring all five of those metrics together to create this relationship quality index, which denotes in large part, the higher the number, the more embedded growth you have in your practice. Because not only do you have advocates but they're advocating for a higher value experience, a more profound experience. The lower that number is, the more embedded risk there is, both attrition risk and regulatory mm-hmm. risk. Now, we may get to this, but we actually plug that number then into a practice valuation tool. The mm-hmm. higher the RQI, the higher the multiple, the lower the RQI, the lower the multiple. That that That's really interesting. Maybe talk a little bit more about that because I, I don't think people necessarily think about that. They just tend to think of like, oh, here's my assets under management and mm-hmm. just put a number on it. Uh, but that but that number can vary based on something like some of these other factors. And like you just said, your your RQI score. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, th- think about the quality of the relationships in your practice, in your book. And in, as a corollary or directly, it, the amount of embedded growth you have in your book, right? The higher the RQI, the more advocacy, the more growth. In fact, that is that is organic growth. And we can get to the, there's another point around that we can get to in a moment. But if you're buying a practice and, or let me rephrase that, when you're selling a practice and you can say to the buyer, my, the, the quality of the client relationships in my practice, in my book are, is very high and I can prove it. Mm. I can show, I can quantify it. Now flip, the reality is it's often the flip side of that. You buy a book and you're like, huh, what happens when that book transitions, if the relationships are really, really strong, the likelihood that the 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 client base will endure that um, trauma of the book transition is higher because there's stronger relationships. Now, the flip side is the lower the RQI relationship quality index, the more likely they will attrit when that book transitions. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just provides another metric and an important metric to understand. Yeah. You know the value of what you actually have. Not everything's made the same. 
Yeah. And, and there's really maybe not a great way to do that outside of a tool like yours. Uh, so someone's trying to do some due diligence, uh, that, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. And, and, and Jeff, to that point, the practice valuation tool is embedded within the, our, uh, the practice intelligence platform. So we call ourselves a growth platform. And I, I like to follow that up by saying really exclamation point, because it's not just, you know, it's not sort of growth. It is actually helping you understand where you are, helping you get better at what you do, and then actually quantifying, monetizing that. Yeah. So maybe, maybe let's talk about that. So let's say I'm an advisor and I get my RQI number and um, it's not great. <laughs> like, you know, and we, we were talking about this way, like all progress starts by telling the truth. Mm-hmm. The RQI is like our truth meter. So if I, if I get it and I, I see it, like, how should I feel or what should I start thinking about if, if my RQI number is, isn't as, you know, high as, as maybe I'd like it to be? Yeah. So, um, well, ag- agreed. You, any any performance improvement starts with knowing where you are and knowing with certainty. And there's another nice sort of phrase to that is for people who are already successful, who are in high performance businesses like advisors, creating a catalyst for change is really important. And one of the there's some great research out there that says one of the keys to catalyst is hard data, hard data and the consequences of that data. So that's much of what we're talking about. Now, we really actually have two sets of data that's really critical. We have the relationship quality index, which is based on five particular metrics that attribute value to the relationship. But we want to go back now to the actual advice attributes, going back to what we talked about the advice experience. Now, the scoring you'd get, the way you'd measure out on the advice experience in terms of the segments of ideal, average, and poor is going to be highly correlated with your RQI, of course. But the real performance improvement happens in the advice attributes. So as you're understanding and knowing with certainty what your clients think about your advice experience, you can then um, focus on those attributes that you might be falling a little short and start improving on those. Um, another way to look at this is the, the, the research mechanism around the advice experience, which is really the core of the value proposition, saying that again, Um, allows an advisor to test the validity, test the effectiveness of their go-to-market strategy. Hey, I I think I'm doing well. I hope I'm doing well. I might be doing well, but let me test it through the eyes of the client around those core things. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Like you, you, I'll I'll use a simple example, like um, understanding fees paid, right? Like as an advisor, you may think that you are very articulate. You've written it down. It's documented. It's in your mind. It's very clear, and you're communicating clearly. But unless you actually test it with your clients, I mean, they might say, "Yeah, I, I know," to your face. But you know, mm-hmm. when it's actually given to them a different way, they they may say, "I really don't understand," and you might need to rethink uh, how you present that information or or or, or improve it. In, indeed, yeah. and by the way, that particular attribute, going back to the published research from JD Power something around 40 plus percent of clients say they actually understand the fees they pay. And here's a question to you. How can you attribute value to something that you don't even know what you're paying for it? Right. Um, but, but to add on to that, cause I know, right. So it's one thing yeah. to know where you are having yeah. knowing with certainty, but then we want to help advisors actually improve on those attributes. And that's the, yeah. there's four components to practice intelligence, practice insights, the research practice development, which is the learning content focused just on the advice experience. So we focused on the advice process versus a sales process. It provides a really good framework and basis to think about 
and enact a process that's more of an advice profession versus a sales profession. So we, listen, we we want to absolutely, you know, we want people to know survey, research, great. But that's not what Practice and Tell is about. Practice and Tell is about moving people right on the continuum, right yeah. on that advice experience dispersion and get better at yeah. what they do. There's a lot of different research out there, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I think as an advisor, it could almost be overwhelming on where to focus your efforts. And so, so talk to us about how, um, how Practice Intel helps us take the data we get as part of our RQI and the seven components, and then how that research is different than maybe other general research an advisor might uh, come across. Yeah. So I think the way I'd approach that is the practice intels, our model is grounded in extensive consumer research. So, so mm-hmm. often what happens with, with surveys that client or that advisors send out, they either send out the typical satisfaction advocacy survey, right? Do you like mm-hmm. me? And will you refer me? Or they are offered a blank, relatively blank template to create their own survey. Mm. Right. And so if you go, if you so they're just guessing, they're guessing on those questions, right. Versus um, your questions have been specifically validated uh, and correlated to, to items that matter. Correct. Yes. And and if we look and I'll, I'll get like, I'll get a little wonky here. If we look at classic performance improvements, I think a lot of people have heard of six Sigma, Mm -hmm. right. Which means, I think it means six errors out of a million, if I'm correct. Anyway, the point is like really high performance. It always starts with first measuring what's important to measure, determining what you want to measure, measure it, work on improvement, and then measure it again. And the great thing about what we offer, it is a it is a rolling research process we refer to as event-based. You don't send out 200 surveys in a given day. You we meet with a client and then you follow that up with a survey you meet with a client and so you have constantly tracking how well you're doing and generally what happens if you have 20 clients that say one particular thing and you have 200 clients in total there's a decent chance the like clients will say similar things so you're able to track your where you are and then the impact of both external and internal changes i think what you said is pretty profound and i I just want to dial into that for just a second because i i think people might miss what you did. I, I think a lot of people, maybe when they're surveying, they'll just survey their whole um, client base all at once, right? Um, and, and the time between when they received an experience with you and when they had that survey is going to vary a lot. So you're going to be, when you're delivering your, uh, your your request for feedback, it happens right after an important moment, right? Either we just met or we made a change to your account or, or something like that. So it's it's consistent, right? It, it, it's, it's measuring around the same time I had a recent interaction with you. And I think people are going to have a better memory on that recent interaction versus maybe six, nine months go by and they haven't interacted with you. Um, they, it might not be as helpful. I mean, I, you know, I'm in a different business, right? I do more like help desk feedback, uh, but we certainly see that, you know, in ours is when we do more immediate feedback versus just general that somebody has. So I think that's really important. And I think that's mm-hmm. something maybe not a lot of other people are doing is is, is getting their feedback uh, in, in a timely method. Sure. And, and there's, and there's you, you kind of got to one of the key points is that temporal, that time gap. And, and by the, another part of that is if, if surveys go out at the end of the year, you have seasonal effect too. Everybody's happy around holidays. But the other part about that is um, it enables you, again, to track. And that's really important. And to track 
without concern of survey fatigue. So I could track us, right, how we're doing and yeah. send four or five surveys in a given year, but you will quickly get fatigued on taking those surveys. Yeah. Um, but and then the other thing is it allows you in that tracking and trending to discern, particularly not just internal changes, which are really important, but also external events as well. Like when the market is really bad, how do they respond? The market's up, world events, et cetera. So there's a when we think about institutional consumer research, it goes far behind beyond surveying. And if you notice, I really rarely use the word survey. Yes. And the yes. survey is just the tool, the the thing that goes out. It's research that we're doing to garner really important insights that can inform action, all towards delivering a better experience, driving more organic growth, really affecting the entire value chain in our industry, the client, the advisor, and the broker dealer, right? Because all, yeah. you know, all ships rise in, in rising tide. All right, Tom. So one of the other things that comes up in our industry is this whole idea of next gen. What do you think about next gen and practice intel? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and there's two ways to look at that. Obviously, the next gen client and the next gen advisor. And just starting with the next gen client, reality is no matter what what uh, age you are, what um, you know, whether you're a baby boomer or Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, whatever the next ones are, everybody wants a good advice experience. Everybody wants their chicken come to the table moist, right? They want their steak cooked well. So, and that research showed that. And there's one of the articles that I wrote in Barron's. Uh, talked about next gen and how they want that experience just as much and how the actually the experience advice experience degraded the younger the generation got so that's the first thing it doesn't the the, the truth is the truth the fundamentals are the fundamentals so, so younger people aren't getting as good advice as they could yeah and they well they, they got not getting the advice experience they could now many might say well they don't have much money we're not paying that much attention to them and that could be part of that as well but mm -hmm. nonetheless it's it's a fact um, but then the second part re revolves around the next gen advisor. And we all know about the, the importance of bringing that next generation up. And by the way, one of my partners, my co-founder and my chief evangelist, Dr. Preston Cherry, is um, actually also heads the financial planning department at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. Just saw a post from him this morning. I commented on it on LinkedIn with a group of students at an FPA um, conference. And I was like, great, you're taking the charge and leading the next generation, which is so critical. Mm -hmm. But you'll also hear a lot of people say that it takes five, six, seven, eight years to actually get that next gen ready to go in a mm -hmm. client facing, um, you know, kind of founder role, if I may, right? That, that business generation role. And I'm going to suggest that what we teach <clears throat> and the education we provide can actually expedite that pretty rapidly. Because what we're providing is the framework to deliver great advice and the client engagement model to deliver great advice. So we believe we can accelerate that learning curve really pretty dramatically for the next generation advisor, which I think would be very important. Cool. All right, Tom, two more questions. Uh, next question. What do you hope for the future of our industry with Practice Intel? Well, I, I think as, as I've always believed in the last 20 plus years is we should be an industry of advice professionals not just sales professionals. And don't get me wrong, selling is really critical. It's a core component, a core competency of any great business. But what clients need is advice and we need to feel more, feel more advice professionals. And we believe, and it's really why we exist, <clears throat> is to help create more advice professionals. And if we think about it, it's kind of a cool ripple effect. So let's say we're able to impact 10% 
of the advisory population, helping them move right on that on that dispersion, become better advisors. I'm going to do rough math here. Let's say that 10% roughly is 30,000 advisors. How many clients do they do they touch? Well, you know, the average I read was 187, so let's say 200. 30,000 times 200 is 6 million clients. Now, extend that to their families, to their legacies, to their communities, right? The amount, what we can do and what is possible is nothing short of of transformational. And I don't use that word lightly because that's a word yeah. that gets thrown around, but this is yeah. this changes lives. Yeah. I think that's what we have the opportunity to do. I, I, I love those stats. Um, I, I think often, especially working in maybe the back office of uh you know, our, our industry sometimes is focused on maybe, you know, specifically advisors, but I think it's always so important to think about the number of lives they touch and their mm-hmm. clients and their clients' community. And, mm-hmm. and as an industry, I think we we just have a huge, both responsibility and, and just opportunity to just really impact those around us. So that's awesome. All right. Last question. Last question. If somebody wants to learn more about Practice Intel, what's the best way for them to educate and uh, and, and learn more about Practice Intel? Well, they can start by going to um, prackintel.com, our, our website. You'll see all about Practice um, Intel uh, in terms of, of what our product offering is, our platform. You'll see a lot of screenshots. You'll have an opportunity to request a demo. We absolutely encourage you to uh, click on that and request a demo. You'll learn about the team um, uh, at, Practice, at Practice Intel. Uh, more about the client experience, or the advice experience, just all sorts of information. So that's where I suggest they go. And we look forward to hearing from lots and lots of advisors. Awesome. Tom, thank you for uh, speaking with us today. Hey, Jeff, I really appreciate the opportunity. You have a good rest of the day. All right, take care.